Our Father and our God, we thank you for the spirit of worship in this place, Father. For truly, you are worth celebrating. And so, Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for the grace and the mercy, Lord, you are showing us, Lord. Father, if we cannot see thy spirit, Lord, help us to see thy power of thy spirit, Lord, as your word is proclaimed. If there be any hearts that are cold towards you, Father, I pray that you would warm them, Father. Warm them by your spirit and your grace, Lord. Lord God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross of Christ that not be seen, but Jesus Christ and him crucified may be seen. We thank you and we praise you, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you all enjoy watching the Super Bowl when it comes on? Got a few hands, not as many as I thought. We don't have any Super Bowl watching folks in here. Uh, whether it's, you know, regardless of whether it's because of watching the commercials, amen, there's some of them, right, or it's because you are a true fan of the game, the Super Bowl has become one of the most popular sports in the world. In fact, it's the second most watched sporting event in the world, second to the World Cup. There's a lot of planning and a lot of preparation a lot of money goes into putting forth a good event or a good show. And so uh, there's a lot of things that are taken care of as far as the security needs to be flawless. Uh, the halftime show, trying to make sure that that goes off without any hitches or any, any, prop, any particular issues, and a host of other things. So it was a huge surprise uh, when Super Bowl forty-seven between the Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers earlier this year came to a sudden halt because of a power outage. In spite of all the planning and the preparation and the oversight, everything came to a sudden halt for 34 minutes while people were kind of wondering or officials were trying to figure out what just went wrong. In spite of all that preparation, everything came to a stop because of one bad part. And this bad part that was installed within the power system was actually supposed to prevent power outages. But in, in, it actually caused the power outage. This reminds me of a story we're going to look at today in the Bible. Only this situation is not a game. This was a, a real-life event and a situation where everything didn't come to a halt, of course, because of a power outage, but it, it came to a halt because of a total disregard for God's holiness. Much like the Super Bowl, there was, there was a great deal of planning, there was a great deal of preparation, there was a great deal of anticipation about what was going to happen. Uh, and, and, and it all came to an, an end, it all stopped because they disregarded God's holiness took God's holiness lightly. And so with that, I want us to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And we're going to see what this event is and, and, and this situation and what took place. And as we're accustomed to doing, if you're able to, if you can stand for God's word, 1 Chronicles chapter 13. We're going to read the entire chapter.
This morning, as we look at the holiness of God, we want to tag this text, holiness that's breathtaking. 1 Chronicles 13, verse 1 through 14, and the word of the Lord reads, David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all the Israelites from the Shehor River in Egypt to Laboh Hamath to bring the ark of God from kiriath Jerem. David and all the Israelites went with him to Bala of Judah, which is kiriath Jerem, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord who was enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kadan, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. May the Lord ever bless upon the hearers and readers of his word. Amen. Amen. If we're honest with ourselves, when we read this story about Uzzah being killed for touching the ark of the covenant, our initial reaction is probably to think that it's a bit harsh and unnecessary. Some of us would rather even not read passages like this. We would rather read passages that are more comforting, that are not so much of a challenge to our faith, because it's passages such as these, when we see God striking out, that it challenges our faith. They cause people to wonder if the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. The reason this passage strikes such a chord with us because we have an extremely low regard for God's holiness. We just can't fathom how holy God is and how sinful we are. As we look at this passage, my prayer is that we will come to know how beautiful and yet uncompromising God's holiness is. It is my prayer that after doing so that that we will have a better understanding of God's holiness that would lead us to love God more and to pursue holiness in our own lives. This real-life event picks up just after David becomes king of the United Nation of Israel. David has been on the run for quite a bit, uh, looking for God to position him as king over Israel. 
He has defeated the Philistines. He's united the nation of Israel. Now he's kind of got a breather a bit. And David, he, he, he reflects on the fact that the ark of God is not with him. And he says he, he assembles a number of people. He, he gets with his leaders. He gets with his commanders and, and he consults with them and says, let's bring the ark of God back from where it is to Jerusalem. Until now, the ark has been at the home of a man named Abinadab, who, who lives in Kiriath-Jerim, which is a city of about 10 miles west of Jerusalem. So it'll be about like Dixie Highway here to the church, amen? It wasn't a very long transport, but we got to keep in mind that there wasn't roads back then, right? The ark has been at Abinadab's house for about 70 years. And now that David is put in place as king over Israel, he says that one of the first things that we need to do is we need to go bring the ark of God back from where it is to Jerusalem, the capital city. So what is the ark? When I mention the ark of the covenant, some of you may think about Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Remember that movie. But unlike the movie, this is, this is not make-believe. This, the ark really existed. Uh, nothing was more important to the nation of Israel than the Ark of the Covenant. Nothing was close to more, being more important than the Ark of the Covenant to the nation of Israel. It was an elaborate chest that was built under the strict guidelines and direction of God. It was about three and three quarters feet long. It was about two and a quarter feet high and two and a quarter feet wide. It was made out of acacia wood. Acacia wood was not just any old type of wood. Acacia wood was the most, one of the most durable woods that you can find. Insects actually found the taste of it distasteful. And, and it, the density of it was such that it was hard for water and other decaying agents to penetrate it. So we're not just talking about any type of wood. We're talking about the finest wood. But not only did it have the finest wood, or was it built out of the finest wood, but it had gold layered over it on the inside and the out, so it was covered with gold. And we're not talking about your 10K gold. We're talking about pure gold. We're talking about 24 karat or straw. We're talking about some real gold. It had gold rings on the feet and on the side, and it had gold poles that were inserted on the side so that it could be carried. It was, it was covered with an atonement cover that had two cherubim, which cherubim were angels, and it had these two cherubim that were chiseled out of hammered gold on the, on the top of this atonement cover with their wings pointed upward and their heads pointed down towards the atonement cover. This ark was something to behold. Something to behold. But the ark was more than just good-looking furniture. It was more than just something you put in your house and be like, man, this is really nice furniture right here. It was God's throne on earth. Also referred to God's footstool. It is where God met with his people. It's where God had talked with his people and let them know what his guidance was, what his direction was, and what they were to be doing. That is where Israel met God, is where the ark was. The ark brought heaven to earth and earth to heaven. It was a constant reminder to Israel that God was in their midst. But not only was it a constant reminder that God was in their midst, 
it was a constant reminder of the covenant that Israel had with God. It was a constant reminder that Israel was God's chosen people and that God is faithful to his word. It was a covenant. It was a symbol of God's presence. But now let's not think that the ark was some type of of genie bottle, right? That's how some of us view God, like a genie bottle, like it's He's waiting for us to call on him, and when we call on him, he comes out or something. God's presence was manifest over the ark, but God's presence was not in the ark. Just as Solomon said, uh, the ark didn't contain God no more than the highest heavens could contain God. And so the ark was not something that was like a box that that God was in, but God displayed his his manifest presence above the ark. When the Israelites were, were not moving, the ark was resided in what's called the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. And the tent of meeting, it had a, a divided room. It had a holy place and it had a most holy place. The ark of the covenant was in the most holy place. And in the most holy place, only one person could go once a year. And that was the high priest. To make sacrifices, to atone for the sins of the people. And so once a year, the priest would go into that room, but and unless God gave orders for Israel to pack up and move out, that's what that's what would be the case. Now, the ark itself, in spite of all its gold, in spite of it being really nice looking, it was not holy in and of itself. The gold did not make the ark holy. The acacia wood did not make the ark holy. It was God's presence that made it holy. It's just like Moses, when God met Moses in the burning bush and Moses stepped on that ground and God said, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. The ground was dirt, but when God got to it, it was holy. God's holy presence is what makes common things sacred and transforms the ordinary into the extraordinary. God is the one who makes things holy. Holy meaning set apart. That's what holy is, to be set apart, to be consecrated for God's use. Not just for any use. To be set apart, to be uncommon for God's use. That is what made the ark holy, was God's presence. Everything about God centers around him being holy. His righteousness is holy. His judgment is holy. His love is holy. His wrath is holy. Everything about God is his holiness. It centers around that. Holiness is not just one attribute of God. It is who God is. And so everything points back to God's holiness. You cannot truly pursue God without pursuing holiness. To ignore or disregard holiness is to welcome unnecessary pain into our lives. If we look back over the issues in our lives, not all, but many can ultimately be pointed back to a low regard for God's holiness. Many of the issues when we look back and the things that we did, the situations we found ourselves in, a lot of it could be tied back to a disregard for God's holiness. In this story, a life was lost because Israel disregarded God's holiness. On the surface, it appears Israel was helping God out. It, 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 looked, it looked like God was just kind of grumpy that day. That's kind of the way some of us see God. We see God as God is just some God just kind of overlooking us, looking for something to go wrong, and then he's going to punish us for it. That's not the God of the Bible. 
But we're going to kind of dig into this and kind of see what happens here. When we look at verses 1 through 6, we see David, he gets together his people, the commanders and the leaders, he pulls them all together. He says to the whole assembly in verse 2, if it seems good to you and and it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and the Levites who are with them in their towns and and pasture lands. In verse 3, he says, let us bring the ark of God back to us. For we did not inquire it during the reign of Saul when he was king. So David says, look, if this kingdom is going to get off on the right foot, then we need to have the ark of God in our presence. We need to make sure that God's glory is with us. And if we have God's ark, if we have the ark of the covenant in Jerusalem, then nothing could stop Israel. He says we will have it all together if we bring the ark back. And so this was a huge and a monumental event. But although the Israelites planned it well, they brought together many people. They went about it the wrong way. It says that in, in first in 2 Samuel chapter 6, which is the parallel passage for this, it says that there were 30,000 men that David brought together to go get the ark and escort it back from Kiriath-Jerim to Jerusalem. 30,000 men, 30,000 men, 30,000 men not at a football game, 30,000 men not at a basketball game, 30,000 men said, I'm going to go back with you, David, and we're going to transport the ark of the covenant back to Jerusalem. But there was one problem, though. They, they had everything planned down. They had the, the people. They had the, they had the band ready. They had everything. But there was one problem. They disregarded God's holiness on how they were to bring the ark back. See, God had given strict regulations and stipulations on how the ark was to be transported. It wasn't just to be carried any kind of way because it was holy. It was the most holy article that they had. Because God's presence was manifest over the ark. And so God told them how they were to transport it. And as we look at this passage, the first first thing that we want to see, the first mistake that the Israelites made was placing the ark on a new cart to push it back to Jerusalem. And the first thing God wants us to know from this message is that he is too holy to be pushed around. God is too holy to be pushed around. You can't push God around figuratively nor literally. But that's exactly what the Israelites were trying to do. The Israelites wanted not to, under any circumstances, push or pull the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. The only way the Ark was to be moved was to be carried on shoulders. That's it. Not only was the Ark only to be carried on shoulders, the ark was only to be carried by the Levites, who was a specific tribe of Israel. Not only was the ark to be carried on shoulders and by the Levites, it was supposed to be carried by a specific clan of the Levites, the Kohathites. Not only was it supposed to be carried on the shoulders by the Levites, by the Kohathites, it was only supposed to be carried on the shoulders and not touched by the Kohathites. That's how holy it was. God wasn't just putting in regulations and stipulations just for the fun of it. He was saying, look, this is the way the ark needed to be transported, and to transport it any other way was a death sentence. Automatic death sentence. 
Instead of carrying the ark as God instructed, they put the ark on a new cart. Some of us, that sounds good. Some of us are probably like, at least it's a new cart. At least it's not an old cart. I mean, at least they got a new cart. I mean, one that hadn't been used before, right? Can't we, we, we care for 10 miles, and when, why carry it for 10 miles when you can push it? There's where the trouble begins. Serving God how we think is best. We divorce ourselves from God's word, and we expect his favor. And that's exactly what the Israelites were doing. They divorced themselves from God's word. What he declared as how they were to transport the ark and expected his favor. Proverbs 4.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it, it leads to destruction or death. There's a way that seems right to us a lot of times. But if that right ain't lined up with God's word, it's wrong. Not only did they disregard God's holiness by pushing it on a cart, they had the wrong people doing it. Uzzah was not a Korthite. Uzzah was not a Levite. David mentions this the second go-round when they do it the right time or the right way the second time. He tells them in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, he tells them, he says, the reason this happened the first time was because we didn't have the Levites carrying it. And the funny thing is, is that the Levites were with them. It said in the passage, the Levites and the priests, he gathered them all together, so they were with them. But apparently they just found it not necessary to carry the ark. They disregarded God's holiness. Rather than lifting the ark up, they they were pushing it. We try to push God around when we do what seems right to us rather than what is right as declared in God's word. We do what seems right when we try to, to be king of our lives rather than God being king of our lives. I don't know if that soap opera show days of our lives is on or whatever but for God's people there should be our theme should be God king of our lives but that wasn't the case here many times even in our lives we try to push God rather than doing what God has declared God is telling us to do something we say hold on God I got this I got this Lord God says seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you God, I hear what you're saying, but you got to hold on. i got to do my thing. God's word declares, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Hold on, God. So we're in the driver's seat, and we expect God to be in the passenger seat. Pushing. God, you can ride shotgun with me. Disregard for God's holiness is when we choose to live life how we want to instead of how God declared how it should be lived. God is not to be pushed around, but God is to be lifted up in our lives. He's not to be pushed around, but instead he is to be lifted up. Then the Israelites were to lift up God because God is a mighty king. God is to be lifted up in our lives because he is a mighty king, because he's worthy to be lifted up, not to be pushed around. The question is, are you lifting up God? Are you lifting up the holiness of God in your life? Are you lifting up the holiness of God in your life? Better yet, can other people who are around you see that the holiness of God is being lifted up in your life? Because we kinda, we're kind of blind at times to, to what we're doing ourselves. 
So the question is, can other people who are around us, who will give us honest feedback, say that they see the holiness of God being lifted up in our lives? The primary way we lift up the the holiness or the name of God in our lives is by pursuing Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God. We pursue Christ. That's how we lift up God. But we, the only way that possible to, 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 to pursue Jesus Christ is to follow God's Word. There's no other way. There's no other way we can lift up God in our lives if we disregard the Bible and treat it like any other book. No other way. The Bible is not just any other book. It is the very oracles of God. If you look at the cover of your book, many of your Bibles say Holy Bible. There's a reason it has holy in front of it, because God is the one who consecrated. God is the one who breathed that Bible through the the, the inspiration of his spirit to other people to write what is on the Bible, write what's in the Bible. I want us to look at there are four things that keep us from lifting up God in our lives. There are four things that keep us from lifting up the holiness of God in our lives through obedience to his word. And and we can kind of see how that how that unfolds in this passage. One of the things that we see that keeps us from lifting up the holiness of God in our lives is is following the world's way rather than God's word. Now, that's exactly what Israel did. They were using a new cart. Now, it may seem like Israel came up with the idea to use the new cart, but the new cart idea was actually the Philistines' idea. The Philistines were Israel's enemy. They were an ungodly nation that was a thorn in the Israelite side always. And we see that about 70 years before this event took place here, the Philistines had actually captured the Ark of the Covenant because of the Israelites' negligence. The Ark of the Covenant was captured, and they had the Ark for a time, but they couldn't couldn't handle the Ark. God was breaking them out with tumors. They were dying. They put the Ark of the Covenant in the same room as their idol god, Dagon, and they go into the room. Dagon's head is broken off and arms are broken off. They're like, the Ark of the Covenant has got to go. So what did they do? They put the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart. And they sent it back. They sent it to Israel. And it remained at Abinadab's house with this new cart. Following the way of the world hinders us from lifting up the holiness of God in our lives. The Israelites were following the way of the Philistines by placing it on a new cart rather than following God's word and doing as he declared should be done with transporting the ark. And the same thing happens in our lives many times. We look at the world so much rather than looking at what God's word declares. We look to see what everyone else is doing. How are they serving God? This is how I'm going to serve God. We look and see how the world is doing things rather than how God declares we are to do things. So we're following the world's way rather than God's word. You cannot lift up the holiness of God in your life if you're not following God's word. But the second thing that we see in addition to what what hinders us from lifting up the holiness of God in our lives, the second thing is, is, is when we think God's word is irrelevant. Many times we, we think that God's word is irrelevant. We can't lift up God in our lives because we don't, we don't think God's, God's word is relevant for today. 
The Israelites may have thought that as well. They may have come, come to this and said, look, it was 400 years when God gave that word to Moses. In Numbers chapter 4, God gave Moses the, 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 the stipulations on how the ark was to be transported. About 400 years before this event. And the Israelites probably like, man, that was 400 years ago. After all, the Philistines were able to send it back with the new cart. Surely we're God's people. It will work for us too, right? Wrong. God has different plans for his people and how we are to respond to him. So maybe they thought God's word was irrelevant. But we have to see and you have to believe that God's word is timeless. I like what one Christian rapper said. He said God's word. He says the Bible is old, but it's still in style like a Cadillac. And I like that. It's, it's old, but it's still in style like a Cadillac. I don't care how old a Cadillac is. You be like, that's, that, that's nice. Still in style. It's still relevant today. It's still relevant. The second, the third thing that we see that hinders us from lifting up the holiness of God in our lives is when we do what is convenient. I want if to, I, if I can't get anything to, God's word is not always convenient. And too often in this pleasure principled world in which we live, we seek comfort and convenience more than anything else. The Israelites did what was convenient for them and not what was appropriate for God. Let's push this cart rather than carry it. After all, this ark gets heavy. It's a lot of gold. This ark gets heavy, man. I mean, 10 miles, it's a lot of of walking. Surely, you know, we can can push it and God will understand. If we're going to lift up God in our lives, we must come to the realization that serving God is not always convenient. Like lifting up that ark on the shoulders, it may get heavy at times. Lifting up the holiness of God, it may get heavy at times to refrain from certain things. It may get heavy at times to not respond back to issues like we used to before we were in Christ Jesus. It might get heavy, but guess what? God will help those who put their faith in him. God helped them the second go around. In 1 Chronicles 15, it says that God helped them carry the ark. How about that? Because they were doing it the way God said they should do it. God empowers those who do what he calls them to do. Say, well, I don't, have, I don't feel like I got any power. Maybe you're not doing it the way God has called you to do it. Because God will surely empower those who, he, who are faithful to his word. If you're not inconvenienced in your walk with the Lord, then you're not faithfully walking with the Lord. I'm going to say that again. If you're not inconvenienced in your walk with the Lord, then you're not faithfully walking with the Lord. God's word is inconvenient to us. Why? Because we're sinners. We want to do our own thing. We are bent toward going left when God says go right. So God's word is going to be inconvenienced. So if if other than coming to church on Sunday morning, if you're not inconvenienced any other time, then you're not faithfully walking with the Lord. You look at any God-walking individuals in the Bible, Genesis to Revelations, you will see inconvenience in abundance. 
And again, God is not inconveniencing us just for the sake of inconveniencing us. We are inconvenienced because God is holy and we're sinners. And so I, I, I pray that you would examine your life, regardless of how long you've been saved. I don't care what you're doing. Are you inconvenienced? Does sometimes when you're walking with the Lord be like, man, this is, this is tired. My schedule is tight. I can't fit it in. But you know what? God's word will inconvenience you. God's word declares we should come together, should not forsake the gathering together of one another. And some of us are kind of like, man, I, you know, I got other things to do. You're not inconvenienced by God's word. God's word is an inconvenience. The fourth thing that hinders us from lifting up the holiness of God in our lives is unholy praise. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. And then in verse 8, it says, David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. So David and the Israelites were getting it in. They were praising. It says they were praising with all their might. And you know David. David knows how to get down. Even his wife was kind of like, you, you out your mind because you're praising like that. So David knew how to throw a praise party. So you talk about 30,000 men with trumpets, lyres, harps, everything. They're 10 miles, they're, they're, they're praising. Up until the event where, or time where God stroke, uh, struck Uzzah down, we would probably be like, God, sure enough, showed up and showed out. That's what we would be saying, because they were praising hard. They were praising with all their might, but guess what? Their praise was unholy because their praise was out of order with God's word. It was out of order. That's what the Israelites were doing. Not only does God command us to praise him, he declares that our praise is to be done with obedience to his word. Our praise does not soften God's holiness or cause God to compromise on what his word declares. You can praise God all you want. You can praise God until you faint on the floor in here. If you are not determined to obey and follow God's word, then you are, you're not praising God. God is not hearing it. Turn to Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. And it reads, I hate, I despise your religious feast. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. So God, speaking through the prophet Amos, says, I'm not even trying to hear your praise. I'm not even trying to hear your, 
I'm not even trying to receive your sacrifices because your heart's not right towards me. God is not in, he's not interested just in our sacrifices. He's not just interested in us coming together on Sunday morning and praising him as if we're doing him a favor. God wants our heart. And if he doesn't have your heart, he don't want anything else. I pray that we get this. Because it's serious. Too often, we're so bent on praising God, but we're not bent on being faithful to his word. That's not being perfect. No one's perfect. But God says that we are to follow after his word. And if we're going to praise him with the hopes or the thinking that it's going to somehow cause God to kind of forget our sin or our disregard for his holiness, then it's not going to happen. Praising God is to be done with gratitude and a heart of repentance. So we see lifting up God's holy name in, in, in our lives we, if in order to lift up his name, in order to lift up his holy name in our lives and, and his holiness in our lives, it requires that we follow God's word and not the world. It requires that we see that God's word is, is, is timeless. It, it is relevant for today and it will always be relevant. It's important that we see that God's word will inconvenience us. It's important that we see that when we praise, it needs to be done in harmony with his word. Else we fall into the problem that the Israelites did, putting it on a new cart, trying to push God when God says, you ought to lift me up. Doing what they thought was best rather than what God declared. So not only is God too holy to be pushed around, but we also see that a disregard for God's holiness is a grave mistake. Literally, disregarding God's holiness is a grave mistake. First Chronicles chapter 13, verse 9 and 10, we, we kind of see when they came to the threshing floor of Kadan, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he, he died there before God. Now something I want you to see here that's, a, that's interesting in verse 9. It says, when they came to the threshing floor of Kadan. The threshing floor was common back then in that agrarian society. It was a soft or a, a hard, uh, a smooth surface that was used to, to separate grain from the, 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 the straw. And so it was common back then. But the interesting thing is, it was, it was, it was smooth and it was, it was hard. And that is where the ark started to stumble. That's when the oxen started to stumble on the most smoothest part of the journey. Abinadab's house, if we look back at 2 Samuel chapter 6, was on a hill. It didn't stumble coming down a hill or anything like that. It stumbled on the place where it should have been the most easiest. And that's what happens in our lives a lot of times. Things happen, disruptions occur at the time where we feel like it should be, I should be going down here right now. I'm in retirement. Things should be going well. But a disregard for God's holiness will see that things will get off track quickly and even at the least opportune time. And so we see this threshing floor is kind of ironic 
Now, we don't know much about Uzzah. We really don't know how faithful he was or his upbringing or anything like that, but we do know one thing. We, we know that Uzzah was a real person. He was Ahio's brother. He was Abinadab's son. He may have been someone's father and someone's husband. He was a real person. And so I want you to think about how they felt when God struck him down right there. Sometimes we can kind of read the Bible and look at it just kind of like it's fiction or something. But look at this and what happened in in that they were partying, they were praising God. Everything was going well until Uzzah touched that ark and he dropped dead immediately. It's not like, you know, just coincidence. He just happened to touch it and fall dead. He had a heart attack or something like that. David knew God struck him down. Because he touched the ark. Some may say that Uzzah responded naturally like anyone else would. If if you look at this for the first time, you're kind of thinking back. You might think back and be taken back by God because you're thinking, man, he was only trying to help. Uzzah was trying to help. The ark was about ready to fall and it would be natural and and it's an honest mistake in that, you know, I'm going to try to help the ark to make sure that it, it doesn't fall. He was just trying to help, right? What Uzzah did was, was not that bad. That's a lot of times what we think. We have to keep in mind that touching the ark was disobedience to God's word. It wasn't just the fact that Uzzah touched the ark, but it was that the fact that the impure touched the pure. It was that he defiled the ark by touching it because he was a sinner. And it was the most holy article that the Israelites had. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, real quick. Numbers 4, verse 15. And it says, After Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles, and when the camp is ready to move, the Korathites are to come down to, carry the, to do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Korathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. This is just one, one area where God told them, no one is to touch it, else they will die. Regardless of whether it was intentional or not. Whether it was, there were good intentions, regardless of whether the motives was right, God didn't say, you will die if if your motives are not right or whatever the case may be. He said, you will die if you touch the ark. And so we have to see the seriousness of it. Many of us feel that our sin is just not that bad. Especially when it's not hurting anyone else. Right? We see it as, okay, my sin's not hurting anybody else. So, you know, it's an abhor to God. That's the problem. And so regardless of whether it's what we might call a white lie or whatever we might want to call it, it's a sin. Regardless of how small, how great, it's sin. And so we see, even though we we disobey God, sometimes we, we have the attitude, you know, even though we disobey God, at least I come to church on Sunday. Even though we don't follow God's word, at least I give my tithes and my offerings. God wants your heart. He's looking for faithfulness. God wants more than just sacrifices. His desire is that we would be holy like he is holy. 
1 Peter 1, 15 says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Again, holy doesn't mean perfect. Holy means to be set apart for God's use and God's glory. A lot of times we see the word holy, we think, okay, it means I can't make any mistakes. That's not possible. God is saying you are to be set apart for my glory and my benefit. Now, if there's anything we need to learn and, and we need to learn fast is, is that God is, like, God, is, God is like none other. He's not like anyone else. And so we need to stop responding to God like we do everyone else around us. Uzzah responded to the ark like it was any other type of chess. He touched it like it was any other type of chess. I don't, how many people aren't their clothes in here? I mean, everybody aren't their own clothes? Okay, so... You know, the arm, the arm that you have in your house, when it heats up, you're not to treat that arm like any other type of, 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 of anything else you got in that house, right? And you learn quickly, just with a simple little touch of that arm, you know that this is different than anything else I have in my house. And so if you've been like me at times, the arm is on the arm and board, and there are times when you hit the arm and board or something and the arm starts to fall off when it's actually hot, now, your natural instinct may be to grab whatever's getting ready to fall, but because you know that arm is hot, you let that arm drop. Right? So Uzzah, the same with that ark. He should know, this is, God's holiness is over this ark. If it drops, it needs to drop, because I'm not touching it. So whether it's a natural instinct or not, there are some things that we know we cannot touch or touch it in the wrong way. And the same is with our response to God. We can't respond to God like anything else or everything else in our lives. We can't treat God like we treat everyone else. God is different. We don't respond to God like we do everyone else. Stop responding like God is just another buddy in your life to who you kick it with. That's not God. He's not just like another buddy, not your homie. He is the most high God. So holy is God that Isaiah himself, when, God, when Isaiah got a glimpse of God in heaven, all he could say was, whoa. Whoa, that's all he could say. God's holiness is like, whoa. That's all he could say was, woe is me. That's how holy it was. So holy is God that the angels are in heaven with their wings over their face, crying out, holy, holy, holy. We're talking about angels that are holy in themselves. But because they know that God is so much more holier than anything else, they got their face covered, they got their feet covered with wings, and they're flying around, they got six wings. I mean, come on now. I mean, God is holy. So God is not to be responded to like anyone or anything else in our life. And unfortunately, that's the way we respond to God. We don't treat them with reverence. Don't pray to them. Don't call out to them. Um, we take it for granted who God is and how powerful he is because we can't see him in this world in which we live. If I can't see it, then I can't believe it. That's going to, that's going to be a, that's a grave mistake. That's a grave mistake. And so... We can't respond to God 
like we do everyone else. There is truly no one like God. 1 Samuel 2, 2 says that there is no one holy like the Lord. Jesus Christ himself helped us to see who God was and how holy he was. I remember this situation where Jesus Christ is kicking it with the disciples in the boat on the water. The storm is raging. The boat is going to and from. And Jesus is just chilling. He's sleeping. The disciples are panicking. They wake Jesus Christ up. Jesus Christ gets up and says, peace be still. How does the disciples respond? They say, what kind of man is this? Even the waves and the wind obey him. There's something different. He's not like everyone else. Even those who were against Jesus Christ knew that. They're like, he's teaching with authority that I have never heard before. Jesus Christ is not saying like this prophet said or like that prophet says. He says, it is written. He was teaching with authority. He said, before Abraham, I, I am. Jesus was different. Jesus, the son of God, God himself. Manifest in the flesh. He's different. We are not to respond to God like we do everyone else. God is incomparable in so many ways. The only thing we're left comparing to now before ourselves, we compare Kobe with LeBron, Manny with, uh, with, with Tom Brady. That's, that's the only thing we can compare each other to. But God is in a league all in of himself. There's nothing we can compare God to. This passage helps us to see that unlike those things around us, God does not overlook sin. So unlike the buddies in our life who may just tell us what we want to hear or whatever the case may be, God does not overlook sin. He does not overlook sin. Sin cannot even dwell in God's presence. And and so it wasn't just that Uzzah's irreverence toward God's holiness that killed him. It was his sin. That is the one thing that, that I think we see is, is, is that our, our sin, it, the God's holiness, it, it disturbs us so much. God's holiness disturbs us. It alarms us. We, we like it, but at the same time, it, it, it disturbs us. Look at David's response in, in chapter, in, in verse 11. So when Uzzah was struck dead, and then it says in verse 11, then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. So so David, he put up a memorial there for, for Uzzah. And David was upset because God responded to Uzzah the way that he did. Notice David wasn't upset at the sin and their disobedience. He was upset by the way God had responded to their sin and to their disobedience. And that's the way we are a lot of times. We get angry because God's holiness disturbs us. I said it before, you know, a lot of times if Jesus, if we were walking with Jesus, a lot of times we look at the passages and, and we're like, man, it'd be nice to be able to chill with Jesus back in the day. Jesus would have been, he would have disturbed you at times because he was so holy. He was perfect. And so we see this. If we're honest, many of us feel or have felt the way David felt. He was angry. Does that not describe us at times? We live unholy lives. We live unholy lives, and then we, 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 when, when our life runs off the track, we ask God why. We live against God's will, and then when things don't go right, we go before God crying and say, why? 
We live in rebellion to God's word. And then when things are not going the way that we would expect for them to, we ask God, why? That's exactly what David did. He said, why? Because of your sin. Because of your disobedience. Now, everything that happens to us, every bad thing is not because God is responding to that in, in some way. It's not the case. But I'm just trying to help you to see that there, there are times when we put ourselves in situations and things occur to us, consequences, because we chose to walk outside and against God's word. And then when things don't go well, then we run to God and we ask why. And that's exactly what happened here. God's holiness, it disturbs us. We get angry at God because we naturally despise true holiness. Because of our sinful nature, we, are not, we don't naturally run to holiness. We can't, the thing we need to understand is that we can't approach God on our own terms. We might want peace. We might want justice. We might want uh, to live life um, well and whatever the case may be. We might not want any crime, but we want things on our terms. That is why it's no surprise that people make up their own ideas about who God is. You see that all the time. I can't believe in a God who will send people to hell. But we can believe in a God who sends everyone to heaven. That's not a problem. And so we, we see this, 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 this going on. We, we want things on our own terms. That's, that's why so many people can live in sin, walk in sin, and come in ch- to church like nothing happened because they have made up their mind an unbiblical God that accepts us on our terms instead of on his terms. And that's not, that's not the way God rolls. That's not the way God works. David was, was angry. And it highlights kind of how we are at times. But David was also something else in verse 12. It says David was afraid. I think this gets a little bit closer to how he should have probably been before. In verse 12, it says, David was afraid of God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? So David, he, 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 find, he, he first, he, he, he's angry, but then he, he gets to the point where he dwells on, on how holy God is and how much a sinner he is. And all he could think about was, how in the world can I bring the Ark of the Covenant back with me to Jerusalem? He's, start, he's, 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 he's starting to get the reverence aspect of who God is. He says, how can I bring it back with me? The sinner that I am. If he struck out to Uzzah like that, and Uzzah just touched the Ark, what, what will happen if I bring it back to Jerusalem with me? David now realizes that God is just too holy. David responds with fear and reverence of God's holiness. Some of you may be feeling that way right now. You feel like, what's the point? What's the point, right? If, if God responded to Uzzah like that, when he meant well, when he had good intentions, what about my sinful ways? What about the many mistakes that I've made? You and I have done some things that have been a whole lot worse and done a whole lot worse than what Uzzah did. Amen? So we may come before this and we might be like, man, there's just, what hope is there? But the only hope that I know is, it's Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the one 
who we turn to. Jesus Christ, God is so holy that he hates sin, but so loving that he gave his only begotten son. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him, trust in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus Christ is our hope. God has made a way for us to approach his holy throne, and it's by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Seeing God's wrath against Uzzah disturbs us because, that, that's, because we deserve the same thing as Uzzah did. But God's grace is seen in this passage. I hope you see God's grace in this passage because as we look now in the New Covenant, the New Testament, we see God's grace visible. It reminds us of what Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, endured so that we can boldly go before his throne without fear of God's wrath. The same God that is too holy to be approached by sinners is the same God that made a way for us to approach him through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Rather than responding to God in anger to God's holiness, we can rejoice because we know that he is, his holy love is, is made a way for us to approach him without fear of condemnation. Jesus Christ, he is our hope. He is the one who stepped down from his throne in heaven, put on the flesh. He is the one who willingly endured the shame of the cross and died on the cross for you and me. He is the one who willingly endured God's holy wrath for sins of all who put their faith in him. So just as we see Uzzah being struck by God's wrath, put Jesus Christ in that place where God's wrath was poured out on Christ when he was on the cross. And not just the the, the wrath for one sin, but the wrath for the sins of every single person that puts their life or their faith in Jesus Christ. Every single sin. So much so that God turned away from Jesus Christ at one moment because he could not look upon sin. Jesus Christ stood in that place where Uzzah was and was struck by God because of our sins. He willingly took our punishment and our place on the cross so that on that day we would not endure the wrath of God, but we would be able to rejoice with God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That is the God that we serve. That is the God. That is his holiness. God did not overlook your sin. Jesus Jesus Christ paid for your sins. You've heard the song. Jesus Christ, he paid it all, all to him I owe. Jesus Christ paid for your sins. Do not error in saying God overlooks my sin. No, he didn't. Jesus Christ paid for it. And it was expensive. It was expensive. It couldn't have been paid for by any other way than by God himself. Jesus Christ, God himself said, this debt is so large, it can only be paid by the righteous son of God. And so for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, trust him as Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of their sins. God's wrath is not on you because Jesus Christ received the wrath on your behalf over 2000 years ago. Past, present and future sins. So in this passage, we may look at it, we may may be disturbed by it. But if we're disturbed by this, we should be disturbed by what happened on that cross. Because Jesus Christ was there on the cross for you and for me. 
Blessed are those who are the temple of God. Not only did he die on the cross for us, not only what does he put in a grave, but he rose again in three days. He rose again with victory over death and over sin. And not only did he raise from the grave, but he tells us that if we put our faith in him, he will make his abode with us. He will come dwell with us. And we are now God's temple. God does not dwell over no ark. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, God comes to dwell in you. You are the temple of God. All the reason to lift up the holiness of God in our life. So you're always before God. Always before God. If you are in Christ, you're always before God. If you're not in Christ, God is always with you, just in a different way. David's fear led him to take the Ark of the House, Ark of the Covenant, back to the house of Obed-Edom. David said, I can't, I can't bring the ark back with me. I've got to take it to somebody's house. And so we see in verse 13 and 14, it says that he did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. God blesses those who he dwells with. So when you give your life to Christ and God comes into your life, God blesses those who receive him. The question is, can God live with you? Can God come stay at you? Can God, can God stay with you? That's the question that is before you. Can God live with you? If you have not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, God is extending an invitation for you to dwell with him. Will you refuse the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Hebrews 12, 14 says that without holiness, it, 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 no one will see the Lord. Are you pursuing holiness based on God's terms or based on your own terms? Earlier, I spoke about the Super Bowl and how that event came to an end and talked about how this event came to an end. And one day, our lives will come to a sudden stop. We don't know when, we don't know how. But it's a guarantee that each and every person here, life, the music will stop. The music will stop. And at that moment, we will stand before a holy God. And the question is, will you, will you be before a holy God to be judged because of your sins that you've committed? Or will you stand before a holy God confident because of your faith in his son, Jesus Christ, paying, your, paying for your sins, that you stand before him as a child of his to spend eternal life with him? Do you want to receive God's holy wrath or do you want to receive God's holy grace? You must make up the decision if you want to live with God, but it must be on his terms. You have to make the decision. Each person here has to make a decision whether they want to live with God. But God is not going to have it any other way except for on his terms. And I don't want you to wait until the music stops 
before you find out that you were living a life that disregarded God's holiness. Let us pray. Our Father, our God, truly we can't, Lord, comprehend how holy thou art. But Lord, I pray that even now you will move in the hearts of everyone here and in the lives of everyone here, whether believer or unbeliever, Father, that we would behold the holiness of you, Lord God. That, Lord, we would not walk away disregarding how holy thou is. And, 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 Father, that we would not respond to the invitation that you have given us, Lord God, to dwell with you. Lord, it would be truly an insult to not respond to your grace after you have given your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Father God, I pray that you, your spirit may move in the hearts of someone here. That, Lord, they will not allow something to hinder them, Father God, regardless of whether that is someone next to them, Father God, or whatever they think, Father God, others may think, Lord God, whatever the case may be. May your spirit, Lord God, have its way and may they approach your throne, God, looking for you to receive them into your kingdom and into your family because they have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, as their Savior. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.